Father in heaven, thank you uh, so much for the weather, for the mountains, for the city, for the clear skies. Thank you for speaking us into existence. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for, for choosing to do that and to, for raising from the dead and giving us hope. Tonight, Jesus, we declare this space your space. We declare you king. This is your space, not ours. But as we come here, Jesus, a lot of us are all over the place. Some of us are not so sure. We believe in you. Others of us are excited to be here. But some of us are just, our hearts are really heavy. Um, but we're here. And so we ask, Jesus, that you would honor our presence here, seeking you, and that your Holy Spirit would give us courage to believe what's true and also courage to push aside what is false. You can give us humility as we speak to one another to not take the way things are said, um, not to hold that against people, but to truly listen for what you're saying to us through one another. ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. We are in a series called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Temple. It is... Uh, our second week in the series, and we are um, going through the Psalms of Ascent, which are Psalms 120 to 134. We are not going to cover all of those Psalms. Um, we're only going to cover eight of them. These Psalms discuss or are what the Israelites, as they pilgrimed to uh, Jerusalem, would sing. And the reason that they are called Psalms of Ascent because most of the time when you were headed up to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, maybe for three of them, um, but most likely at least one, you would go up for Passover, you had to go up into the hills to get there. You were probably in the lowlands. So in some ways, it really just describes what you were doing, going up into the mountains. But it also describes Israel's narrative. Israel went up from Egypt and into the Promised Land. They went up. But it also describes the way they had a relationship with God, right? Israel was always headed up to Jesus and then descending away from God. So up to God and away from God. So these psalms are the ones that they sang and they remind them of what God has done for them and it's a kind of a process of moving far away from God to close to God. Now before we get into these psalms, we're going to start in John chapter 14. Um, before we get to John chapter 14, last week you may have gotten a chance to hear Andrew sing the Psalms in Hebrew. So he sang Psalm 120, 121, and 134. And this week he's going to sing 121 and 122. And what I would like to ask you as your pastor, and as you sit and listen to him sing these songs in Hebrew and in English, the words will be up on the screen. And so if you have been listening to them online, because they've been online for a while, and you want to sing along, that's great. But when I first heard Andrew sing these and hear them, heard them sung in Hebrew, what I, I realized, I felt like in my spirit, that the way the songs were being sung and having the ancient Hebrew sung over me, it actually began to knock down some walls, I felt, in my own heart, to transformation, to change, to things that maybe I was resistant to God in. And so what I'm asking of you guys, as you listen to Andrew, 
sing, and Sue play the cello, and maybe you sing along, that you would allow the words and the music to kind of break down some of your resistance, that you would actually kind of listen to them with open hands spiritually and allow God to work in your heart. So, with that said, we're going to do things slightly different. And we will be doing things slightly different in the order of service than we have before. So, after I'm done speaking, we won't do communion. Communion will come after the two songs are sung, and then we'll be singing together as a community. So I'll address that. Usually, we do offering as a response to God's Word. But today, we're going to do it before God's Word. So I'm going to offer the offering to you. This is the way our community supports itself. So I'm going to pass it out. And you can, if you're visiting with us, you don't need to give anything. If the last person would just put this basket underneath their um, chair, that would be great. Vivi will find it. That's what she does. And she grabs the offering. So, with that said, let's jump into John 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 14, verse 15. And he says this. I'm going to just read for a while. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, and I love this little parenthesis, not Judas Iscariot. I'm sure that when John was writing this, he kind of texted him and said, make sure you put that in there. It was, it's not the Judas who betrayed Jesus who asked that question. Um, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and he will come and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Please, a peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now we could spend a lot of time on this passage, but there are just two things that I want you to kind of take note of right now. We'll kind of come back to this as we go through the Psalms. But number one is that Jesus tells his disciples that they will not be orphaned and they will not be abandoned. Number two is that Jesus says, that if you obey his teachings, if you love him and follow his commands, that not just the Holy Spirit will come, but the reality is, is that it says we, the Father and I, will come and make a home with you. Okay? So number one, 
Jesus says you and I are not going to be orphans. And number two, the result of us not being orphans is we're actually going to belong to a family. We're going to belong to a family. Now in Psalm 120, last week, Psalm 120 is the psalm that starts out the songs of ascent. And they start out with the psalmist being very distressed and saying that he lives in a world where there are lying tongues. Where, there, where when he wants peace, everybody else wants war. Now, when Jesus says that he will not allow us to be orphaned or abandoned, he touches on something very deep in all of us. And that is that we're pretty sure that at some point, all of you will abandon us. That we are going to be alone and orphaned. That when people find out who we are, or we just, the way the world is, eventually, you're an orphan. Or, we all have at least experiences in our life that could be understood as orphan experiences. Right? Where we feel like we're not at home and we don't belong. I've recently started coaching a basketball team. I haven't coached basketball in 20 years. And I'm coaching this high school basketball team. And as the kids have been playing and we've been running practice, I started reflecting on my own playing. I played at Rincon High School um, on the freshman basketball team. And I was the 13th man on the basketball team. In fact, I averaged about one point a game, and this is how they got me my points. We were undefeated. Many of the players got drafted to other teams in college, and the ones who didn't were actually on the practice squad at the U of A. So we beat teams badly when all those guys were freshmen. So people got mad. So they would foul, and they would commit technical fouls. And when they committed technical fouls, they would call timeout, and they would send me out. And I would shoot technical fouls. And that's how I scored all my points. But that wasn't the bad part of it all, though that was rather embarrassing actually, um, is that that was a brutal, brutal place for me to be on that basketball team. Because I really actually hadn't gone through puberty yet as a freshman. And so I'm not even sure how I made the basketball team. But I was just tormented by this team, but not just my freshman team, but the varsity team. Every time I'd walk to the second gym, the varsity guys would be standing in the bleachers, hey, freshmen. It wasn't any of the other freshmen, just me. Sweep the floor before you go to practice. And I thought like they really meant it. I was terrified. Um, but the other issue in being playing basketball is that I was just a smart mouth, and I never knew how to keep my mouth shut. So I always was saying stupid things, so I was always getting picked on. But when I sat on that basketball team and I sat on the end of the bench, the thing that I kept thinking was, I don't belong here. I do not belong here. It was a terrifying experience to go to practice every day. I didn't know if I was going to get picked on. I didn't know what's going to happen. But my dad made me stick it out, you know, because you need to stick things out. Um, and, and, and it was good. But I felt like an orphan. It was an orphan experience in my life. And just like Psalm 120 says, I was distressed and I was in a place where people had lying tongues and people were for war, not for peace. They weren't there for my well-being. right? And that is the thing, that many of us, a place that many of us find ourselves in life and it's the fear that we have. And yet, Jesus says to the disciples, if you become a follower of Jesus, 
if you enter into the family, you get, if you do this, you get God of the universe as your father, and you get Jesus as your older brother, you get to be in the family. Now, I'm part of the Seepin family. There are ways that the Seepin family does stuff. Right? We, we clean a certain way. We eat dinner a certain way. We have rules about how things are done. How Saturday chores are. Like, there, there are rules to how Seepins operate. All of you have family rules, either spoken or unspoken. There is the, and you put your last name in there, and there's the way, right? Well, it's true about God's family. There is a way, right? And that's what you've entered into. When you go and take the bread and you dip it in the juice and you stand up here or you take it when one of the pastors is offering it, what you're saying is is that I stand with Jesus' broken body and His blood poured out for me and I belong to the family. These are my peeps. God's my dad. Right? I'm in the family. But to be in a good family, you have to... Uh, good families have good rules and good ways of doing things and good instructions... And when we get to Psalm 121 tonight, Psalm 21 is the place where the pilgrim who's cried out in distress has decided he's going to head towards God. He's decided he's going to leave all the people who have orphaned him and where he feels so far away from God and where he doesn't belong. And he's going to head towards God. Or he or she, the pilgrims are going to head to Jerusalem. Now last week, Andrew mentioned Psalm 42, and he said in Psalm 42 there's this question that's asked. And really the question is asked with some sarcasm, and that is, where is your God? Where is He? Okay. Well, Psalm 121 is the answer to where your God is. And this is, where is your God, is the first question that you get when you decide in that moment you're going to walk out of being an orphan when you're going to enter into God and to, or a relationship with God and into being a child, the question that you often hear is, where is your God? Because when you become a follower of Jesus, everything just doesn't get better. So I want to read to you Psalm 121 because that could be a little bit confusing. So let me read the whole psalm to you. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now, if you read that psalm and you're in a place of kind of distress, if we're all honest, we're there at some level, you would say, this isn't true because I have slipped. Bad things happen to people. Bad things have happened to me. Right? So what's this psalm is not correct unless the psalm is actually saying something different. The psalmist is taking the imagery of this pilgrimage and he's saying something super important about the value of being part of God's kingdom, the value of the family, 
He's giving us the answer to what the enemy says when he yells at us, where is your God in the midst of the things that you struggle with? And so the psalmist says, it says in the beginning, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now I don't know if you've ever been that place in your life where you decide, okay, I'm going to take care of things. I'm going to do it. And then you look at the hills, right? The things you need to conquer. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> where is my help going to come from? Right, where you feel like the addiction is overwhelming, the debt is overwhelming, the pain is overwhelming, the hills, the question that you ask is a legitimate question. And it's probably spurred by the question that the enemy often asks us, which is, where is your God? And we look to the hills and we're like, who's going to rescue me? Very good. Verse 2 says, my help, the rescuer, my rescuing comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So the question that we ask as people who join the family of God is, where's dad? Where is he? The answer is not, where is he? The answer that comes from the psalmist is, who is he? He is the maker of heaven and earth. And we say this in the Apostles' Creed. But this is the thing that you and I, as we face life and as we face trouble, have to hook our grappling hook too. That the one who is our dad is the maker of heaven and earth. There isn't anything that falls outside of this. The one who is our dad is the maker of heaven and earth. So when we when the question is, where is your God? The answer is not to tell the enemy where he is. It's to say who he is. He's the maker of heaven and earth. It's a statement of my dad is bigger than your dad. Right? And we need to hold on to that as we face the hills, the trials, the walking out of feeling like an orphan, the things that are distressful. We have to hold on to this idea, these two bookends, that our dad is the maker of heaven and earth. Verse 3 says, makes a statement. The first part. He will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot slip. Now, every time this phrase is used in the Old Testament, it's used four other times, two Psalms, Numbers, and I think Deuteronomy. Um, where it's used is that it is a delivery from some form of distress. Some form of spiritual distress. Okay? So, the writer here is not talking about when you're climbing the mountains, your foot's not going to slip. I guarantee you, if you go rock climbing, your foot will probably slip. If you're climbing up the mountains, you're going to slip. But the writer here says, your foot will not slip. He's talking about something bigger. And Jesus kind of expands this in John chapter 10. Verse 27 to 30. He says, my sheep... Listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So when, G when, when the psalmist is saying that the maker of heaven and earth is not going to let your foot slip. What he's saying is, is your dad 
is never ever going to let you be reorphaned. That when you enter into the family of God, you are never ever ever going to be reorphaned. Now, what is the terror? Even as when you come into the the family of God, what is again the thing that I said at the beginning that you and I wrestle with? That is that eventually someone will abandon us. Eventually, all of you will abandon us. Eventually, people are going to find out. And yet what the psalmist says and what Jesus says when he says your foot will not slip, what he's saying is you will never not be part of the family. You, that can't be taken away from you. That's really, really important because the, the question that the enemy asked you when he says, where is your God? He's asking you, he's saying, do you really belong to the family? Are you, does God really care about you? Yes. So number one, your dad is maker of heaven and earth. Number two, you can't be reorphaned. And then he kind of explains this foot thing. He says, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now you'll notice in this passage that watch, watch, watch is said over and over and over again. Well, the Jewish word for watch can mean guard, it can mean keep, it can mean obey. But literally what it is, is this idea that comes from being a shepherd. So a shepherd will take his sheep out and he will, when he takes them out and they're not near their pen and he's feeding them and it's nighttime, he will take thorn bushes and he will turn them into a pen and put the sheep in there. And that is called the shamar. That is the way he watches them. Now the way, the reason the shepherd would do that is he puts the sheep in the thorny bushes and he goes to sleep. And his sheep are safe. But what the writer says here is that when Jesus watches or when God watches over us, when God shamars us, when he puts the thorny bush around us, he doesn't fall asleep. He's constantly watching. Now, for those of you who have children, maybe you've had this experience, or if you've been a child, then you know about this experience, but where your child wakes up in the middle of the night and they're alone, right? And their father or mother is asleep. So they walk into their parents' room and they open their parents' door because their parents don't lock their door. And they stand over their parents and they say, Dad, Dad. And then your dad wakes up and there's this girl glowing in a white robe standing over you. And you think you're in a horror movie, right? And you freak out because you're pretty sure there's something demonic over you when it's just your daughter, right? But all of us have had either one of those experiences. You've woken up alone as a little kid and you know mom and dad really don't want you to go in and wake them up. Or there is no mom and dad to wake up. And so there's this sense that nobody is watching. That nobody is watching. Point number three, the thing that you answer when the question comes, where is your God? The answer is, my God is awake. My God is watching. I can relax. Now one of the things that you and I do is that we're all pretty hyper-vigilant. That we're constantly aware of our surroundings. In fact, if you're here at the village, many of you, like me included, we all just have these anxiety issues, right? 
It, our world is full of anxiety. I mean, watch the commercials. They go on forever and ever talking about anti-anxiety medication. We're anxious people. But one of the things that the family, the, the father says to us through the Psalms is, take a deep breath. I've shamarred you. I've put the thorns pen around you. You can't get out of it and nobody can get in and I'm sitting next to it watching. Right? But the psalmist doesn't say, he doesn't say it's just not you. Guess what? He's watching Israel. He's watching your brothers and sisters. That this goes to everybody. And that's important. That as you look around here, it's not just that, that God is watching over me, that He's not falling asleep, that I can relax, that Pastor Eric can relax, he's okay, but I don't have to. No. Everyone who is in the family of God has not gone to sleep on you. But you can take a deep breath. He's watching. He's keeping guard. He's put a pen around your soul. You cannot be re-orphaned. You are no longer an orphan. Verse 5. The Lord watches over you. He guards you. He keeps you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. So, you all are Arizonans, right? When you're out in the desert, what happens? It's really hot. And, and, and what happens with people who are fair-skinned don't wear sunscreen? That's right, they get sunburned. How many people get sunburned when they walk out in the sun, right? How many people really like to sit in the shade? Right? Yes, exactly. And, and, and it's amazing. In, in Arizona, shade somehow seems like 50 degrees cooler when it's 110 outside. When it really is not, it's like 95 in the shade or 100 degrees, but you're like, oh, this is great. Right? Well, well, the psalmist here is touching on something very real. Because if you're headed up to Jerusalem and you're climbing through the mountains, the sun gets really hot really fast. And it burns you. And then it gets really cold at night. And you can be caught unaware. Now, the reason that the shade would be on your right hand is because your right hand is where your strength is. Now, what is the one fear of somebody who thinks they're going to be orphaned? Well, it is that you're going to be abandoned. So what the psalmist says is that as you walk through the mountains, as you deal with the pain and stress and the difficult things in your life, God will shade your right hand, your right arm. You know what that means? It means that God's not going anywhere. He's not going to leave you. You're not going to have a lack of strength. Right? There's not going to be an abandonment. So, when a Hebrew wants to make this point, what he does is he gives you Either end. So he says, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. What he's saying is there is nothing that where God is going to not be present. Okay? Or not give you strength. So I want you to hold on to this. I'm going to go through this list again as we're going down. Number one, who's your dad? He's maker of heaven and earth. You can't be re-orphaned. You can relax. Your dad never sleeps. 
Point number four, I want you to hold on to this because this is the answer that you answer to where is your God? That is, my God, my dad, hasn't abandoned me. These are the things that make the foundation of the family of God. That God is not going to abandon you even in the midst of the things that are difficult and hard for you. Now, this was important to the Israelites because as they headed up out of Egypt, they were led by a pillar of fire at night right, and a cloud by day. This meant that God hadn't abandoned them. And so when he says he's not going to abandon you when it's hot and at night, it's harking back to their story. Now, verse 7 says, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Now, the word harm is probably better just evil. What he's saying is the Lord is going to protect you from evil. Not from your body being harmed, but from evil. And then he kind of extends that and he says that the, in the NIV they say that he's, he will watch over your life, but it's better translated your soul which goes back up to he will not allow your foot to slip. The, the thing that's so important about being in the family of God is that your soul belongs to God. That the evil one cannot possess it. Yes, can harmful things happen to your body? Can, can distressful things happen? Yes, they will. They do. We live in a fallen world. But the answer is, when the question comes, where is your God? is to say, no man, I'm in the family of God and my God has my soul and he, He's not going to let you do anything. You cannot harm me. I belong in the family of God. And so, ethic number five of the family of God is evil will not win. Evil will not win. As you're headed up towards God, as you're struggling with the things that you're trying to shed, as you're looking to be healed, as you're moving towards Jesus, the answer is evil cannot win. It will not win. Then it goes on to say, the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And there are two points in here I want you to hold on to. Number one is that you're special And number two, dad is in it for the long haul. A lot of times, I will watch this after church. There'll be a mom in here of a two-year-old or a -a one-and-a-half-year-old. Someone who can walk, but not really well. And they'll start heading for the door. And the question that you ask, that the mother asks is, is the child turning left or is the child turning right? Because if the child turns left, they're headed out into the parking lot. If the child turns right, then heck, there's a lot of lovely villagers there. They'll take care of them. That's how we work around here. So you go right, you're good. You go left, mom's getting up, right? Because mom is watching the comings and the goings of her child for a safety sake. But it's not just that. If God is watching your comings and goings, it's not just because he wants to keep you safe. It's because he actually enjoys you and thinks you're special which I don't think a lot of you believe. That you're really special. That he's, he's excited 
to see what you're going to do. Right? And maybe you haven't had that experience with the, your dad. But let me tell you, as a dad, one of my favorite things to do is to watch my son and daughter discover new things, take risks. And, and I'm, I get really excited and I'm really afraid that they're going to you know, mess up and then they're going to be embarrassed or that they're going to do it really great and then I'm excited to see how they're going to do that. And it, it's almost like this half-anxious feeling that I get, you know? When I, when I get to see my daughter do something or my son do something, it's exciting. Well, I would argue to you that that's what God's doing with you. That one of the family ethics, the thing that the Father says to you is, I get really excited about you. I get excited when you take risks. I get excited when you do stuff. And I watch. You're coming and you're going. Because you're special to me. I care about what happens. I want to be part of what happens to you. But that's great, but the, the most important one is that that specialness and that exciting thing is not just for now, but it is forever, forevermore. That God is in it for the long haul. It's really important because it touches back on being orphaned. Right? It's not just for this little time. It's not for a little time that God's like, ooh, you're special. It's not when they're just three-year-olds. It's not when you're three as a spiritual person. He's excited when you're 40 as a spiritual person. Right? He's here forever. Okay? Now, I want to quickly in end tonight because I want Andrew to have a chance to play and I don't want to talk forever. But to end tonight, I want to go back to John chapter 14. And I want to talk to you a little bit about how this family works in context to Psalm 21. So I just want to quick read to you Psalm, or, uh, John 14, verse 15. Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And then verse 23 says, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings, and my Father will love him. And he goes on to say, And we'll make a family. Now here's the idea with this obey. It's kind of the same concept of the word shamar. So in Psalm 21, the basic ethic is, is that God is surrounding you. He's shamaring you. He's keeping you. He's watching over you. What Jesus tells us in John 14 is, guess what? This is a relationship, right? And a relationship is built on love. And the call then is for us to shamar the teachings of God and the commandments of God, right? And so the idea in, in all of the Old Testament, you'll see this over and over again, it is all about what direction is Israel facing? Is their face with Jesus or is their face away from Jesus? And in John 14, what Jesus is saying is if you want to be in the family, then your job is to guard and keep the family ethic. Your job is to follow Jesus' teachings. Your job is to be face-to-face with Jesus. So when you and I choose to take seriously what Jesus offers us to be part of the family, we begin to take hold of these ideas that come out of Psalm 121. And so I want to read them to you, and then I'm going to pray. Number one, who is your dad? Your dad is maker of heaven and earth. 
you can't be re-orphaned because the Father won't let go of you. The enemy cannot take you, you can't take you out of the hand of the Father. Number three, you need to relax because your dad never sleeps. Number four, dad will not abandon you. In the times when you think that you are the most lonely, God will not abandon you. He's not going to leave you. The evil one will not win. You are very special. And the God of the universe is in it for the long haul. So we're all on a pilgrimage. If we're followers of Jesus, we're headed somewhere really cool. We're hoping for something amazing. And so tonight, as a prayer actually, I would like to read Revelation 21. So if you bow your heads, I want to read this passage over you because this is what we hope for. This is what we're pilgriming towards. This is what we long for. This is what the family is about. This is John again speaking in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. Uh, I wanted to share something really quick about Psalms 121. Um, there's a if you if you read it closely, there's a, a change in person in who's speaking uh, in the passage in verse three. It begins in the first person, you know, where's where will my help come from? And in verse three, um, another person is addressing the pilgrim, and he's saying, "Your help will come from the Lord. God will be your guardian. God won't let your foot falter. He'll guard you by day, guard you by night." He'll bring you all the way to Jerusalem. And it's, you know, you can read it many different ways. It might be someone from the community. It might be an elder. But it's basically someone who who has that faith in God, who steps in and speaks to the pilgrim to encourage the pilgrim uh, because that way is dangerous. And we know that the enemy is like a roaring lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And so you know that you're going to encounter the enemy along the way. And the journey to Jerusalem is long and can be perilous. Um but I got excited when Eric read uh, John chapter 10 because that was actually one of the verses that I was uh, going to mention when I was going to talk about this, um, that where Jesus says, you know, like, I'm the shepherd, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, there's another verse that I'd thought of with Psalms 121 is that when Jesus is talking to Peter and it's right after the Lord's Supper and he says someone's going to deny him, uh, he says to Peter, Peter, 
Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So that, that idea was really powerful for me that Jesus, he, he prays for us. He knows that the enemy is out there going to and fro like a roaring lion seeking who may devour. He knows that Peter is about to deny him three times and he knows that his disciples are going to scatter. But he says, I've prayed for you and I won't let you fall. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you come back to me, he says, strengthen your brethren. And so, you know, there's going to be a, a, a point along the journey to Jerusalem, along our journey towards God, that you're going to fall. You're going to, you're going to stumble, but God won't let you fall for good. He won't leave you behind. And he knows you're going to stumble. And so we don't have to be anxious that, oh, what if I make a mistake? Because that's the way I am a lot of times. It's, I got to get it perfect. I'm going to Jerusalem. When I finally set my face towards Jerusalem, I say, all right, I'm going to do this. And then the whole way, I'm just like, like Eric said, hyper vigilant and like, I, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want my foot to falter and I'm just moving so slow and I get, I get paralyzed by that sometimes, but God knows I'm going to fall, but he won't leave me behind. He'll get me to Jerusalem. And he says, when you get to Jerusalem, be that one who speaks to the pilgrim who's just in leaving Meshach and Kedar and encourage him once you've been encouraged by God and say to him, what God has done for you. Say, God won't leave you behind. God will guard you because he guarded me. Um, and so that's something that's uh, very encouraging to me.